Greetings, humaniforms of the listening variety. This is Jim, and I am talking to the writer, producer, and director of Six Stories Told at Night, an audio drama containing a cascade of stories within stories. She is a podcaster, playwright, and seeker of beer and Pokemon. Folks, I present to you the scion of activity, creativity, and positivity, KT Brisky. Hello! Hello! You have got this podcast out quite recently. I have just finished listening to it, actually. I've listened to it at work this week, and... And I was completely enchanted. It is a wonderful series. Tell us a little bit about Six Stories. Sure. So Six Stories Told at Night takes five traditional Canadian folktales and interweaves them within a larger firming narrative. As within this larger narrative, um, a young woman, Sam, is trying to rescue her best friend, Joelle, from the fairy realm, where she's wandered off into. And the only way to get into the fairy realm is to tell the fairies a story they've never heard before. Hence our our Canadian folktales coming in. Um, I would say there's hijinks and hilarity, but it's kind of dark. It is. It is. It's kind of dark. So, it is it is a beautiful darkness, though. It's very good. Thank you. That's what I go for. Yes. It's much well, like my beer. Beauty yes. and darkness. <laughs> and me. Yes. There you go. Um, yeah, so not much hilarity. Maybe a light moment here or there. Yeah. But lots of Canadian folk and fairy tale goodness. Yes. And actually, that was something that was very cool. Most of them were stories that I hadn't heard before. Because I am from that place south of Canada. So it's uh, one of those things where I guess they don't get down to us that often. I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, what I'll mention briefly is that you've got this wonderful thing where in each episode you have a story that's a folk tale, but it's a story within a story, which is within a larger story. Yeah. Uh, I like playing with structure. Yes. <laughs> I like it's messing great. with people. Uh, thank you. I'm glad Very you enjoyed nice. it. Um, yeah, I, I also dig the whole meta thing. Um, a lot of my fiction. I My challenge for myself, I think, at some point this year is I would like to tell a story with one point of view in a linear chronological narrative. That's my challenge for myself. Ah, One point of view, one chronological timeline, no jumping around, just just one story. Mm. It's going to be really hard for me. simple. Yeah, especially the way my brain works. Uh, Yeah, so they're traditional folktales. It was interesting because for some of them, like, there's a pretty coherent plot. I mean, obviously, there's many different versions of these stories. Um, But there was a mostly agreed upon set of general events that happened. Uh, And then for some of them, there was much less, which required a bit of inventing. But I I think that fits in quite well with the whole theme of um, we change our stories and our stories change us. Yeah, so it was basically a thing where you were kind of sculpting them as they were coming in, I guess. Yeah, well, some of them, like the first one, Bonhomme Satur, it deals with essentially the French-Canadian boogeyman. Much like our boogeyman, though, well, everyone knows about him and kind of what his deal is. There's no, like, actual story, like, beginning, middle, <laughs> yeah. end. He's just, he's just this guy, like, um, again, like our boogeyman in a lot of ways. It's like, okay, yeah. what does this figure have to do within the larger story, and how can I use him and basically invent my own fairy tale? I think it was interesting, also, the way that you used the stories as part of the progression and sort of in the way that, you know, you hear certain kinds of stories when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you start to appreciate more complex stories. At least that's the theory. And uh, so I, I think I saw a sort of a progression like that in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what I did for plotting it was first I chose the story. So I first read a whole ton of um, <laughs> Canadian fairy tales. And then I picked the ones that I liked best. 
ones that kind of spoke yeah. to me. And I think I had seven at first, and then I whittled it down to five. And then I put them into an order that made sense to me thematically. Yeah. And, and kind of the growing up and the maturing, because I knew that was going to be a part of the framing narrative. That was certainly, it played a part in my progression, in my ordering of them. And once I had the folktales in an order that made sense to me, then I was able to kind of use that as a skeleton and put the framing narrative around it. Cool. Yeah, so they de- they definitely were the backbone the whole way through. So I'm, I'm very glad you picked up on that. Well done. Well, hi. <laughs> well done. Do you have like a deep connection to this folklore? Have you, you've been playing with it for quite a while? Well, I am Canadian. So yeah, there's what? that. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it was it was a thing that actually came up during my MFA. So I think it was my second residency down in Maine working towards my lovely degree in creative writing. One of my mentors had brought up, huh, you know, I wonder what... Uh, Canadian fantasy would look like. Like fantasy that's really rooted in the Canadian tradition, not a European-derived thing. I said, huh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. (laughs) And I feel like I've been trying to find out ever since. Um, not just with six stories told at night, although obviously that was a big part of it, but also in yeah. some of the other fiction that I've been doing. Uh, so yeah, I guess so. I guess, yeah, I, I have been definitely exploring it very, very deeply. Well, I think it's awesome that you're sharing it with everyone. I have to say, I think my favorite of the folk stories mm-hmm. is the one with the Wendigo. Yeah, that's um, cool. I like yeah. Wendigo. <laughs> I, they are freaking cool. I love in that, and again, I'm not going to give away too much, but what I really like about that is the way the Wendigo behaves in the story. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Um, and I think that made it all the more effective. I will tell the audience, if, if anyone's listening, that uh, it might surprise some folks. But it, I think, absolutely works to increase sort of the sense of dread that you feel as you're listening he's to that so story. He's just so nice. He's just so nice. It was interesting with, with actually two of them, the Wendigo and La Corriveau, because I'd actually already written stories about those figures. So I won the Toronto Star short story contest this year with a piece about Wendigo in which they behave much more like traditional Wendigo, I guess, or like the commonly yeah. viewed manifestation of Wendigo. So when it came time to write this, I knew I had to include them. It was like, I want to do something different. I don't want to basically retell the same story, which is why I just did a 180 and went the complete opposite direction. Um, And then with La Corriveau, she actually was a real person, which is super cool. And she's also got this legend that sprung up around her. She was a witch and she had seven husbands and killed them all. And she hangs out with Satan, werewolves and stuff. So I wrote a story that basically took every possible version of La Corriveau and made it into one non-linear, non-chronological thing. <laughs> uh, and that's actually coming out with Strange Horizons in early October. Uh, so okay. Same thing, yeah. I guess I do explore Canadian folklore a lot. But same thing. Uh-huh. I got to La Corriveau for six stories and went, well... I don't want to repeat myself. Yeah. And I've told almost every version of La Corriveau. So I need to find an angle I haven't taken yet. Yeah. And if you listen to six stories, you can hear it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is why I urge everyone to do so. No, it was very cool. And uh, again, I, I particularly liked the meta aspect, just sort of what's going on as she's remembering certain things. And then as she's remembering these things, they're tied to the story of yeah. what is happening to her. The main character, Sam, uh, the, the narrator, Sam, as she's uh, going through her ordeal. I've read some of your other stuff, and there always does seem to be a sort of a twisty, little almost meta aspect to it. I don't think I've seen you employ it to this extent before, especially masterfully the thing that you do in the last episode, which I will not reveal. Which <laughs> I cackle. 
I used the word cascade earlier, and I meant it, because everything just sort of melds together in a certain way, but you do it very artfully. Thank you. And I'm just wondering, is where does that come from? Did you have uh, any other... I, I know you, you talked about how you had your structure, you picked them up. Did you have any inspirations for how you wanted to weave this whole thing together? Actually, yeah, there was a big... One of the big aha moments for me when I was plotting this was I was doing all my research about French-Canadian folklore, and one of the things that I found out was that it's quite common to have these kind of story cycles. They're almost like rounds in a way, like you get to the end of yeah. the last story, and then uh, the whole thing starts over again, and that idea of a round was super interesting yes. to me. Um, and that yes. was kind of the, oh, I want to use that, because that's awesome. How does that tie into my theme and my character arc? And I'm saying, oh, okay, and then once I'd sorted out that aspect of the structure, it was a lot easier to go to my voice actor, the lovely and talented Blythe Haynes, Indeed. and say, okay, so this is what you're doing, actually. And I know that was helpful for her. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Blythe Haynes. Uh, where did she come from? How did you get a hold of her? Because she was really good in this. She's awesome. She's a Toronto-based actor, so she actually works with me at our day job, so that's where we met. We educate children by doing theater. It's great. Um, it actually is. It's such a cool job. <laughs> I have seen some of the videos. <laughs> yes, yes, you can find us on Facebook. We do videos for Black Creek Pioneer Village um, and also Frolic About. Yes, I met her 2011. So when I first started as like a wee young summer student, and then at the end of the year I started podcasting my novel Hapix, and I asked her to be a voice in it. And then we've just kept working together ever since. Because she's really good. We became yeah. pretty close. So it's, it's just worked out quite nicely for us. But she has quite a range just from the sound of this. She, oh, she goes to many extremes, voices several different characters, really, over, yeah. the, over the course of the thing. Um, it's a narrative, but there are different characters in it. It's very cool just as the, the way that she layers out in her performance these things. It was so great, too, because when, when I was writing it, obviously I knew that she'd be voicing it. And I feel like for me, I'd been trying for a while to write the podcast that would show exactly what she could do. Hmm. Oh, yeah, because I, 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 I always knew she was very talented. And I just felt like at this point, I've grown enough as a writer to really be able to highlight that. So that was a really nice feeling. Well, she's very good at, in particular, getting into the head of the of the narrator, Sam, and uh, how she's able to shift from different layer of story to different layer of story. Mm. It's very cool. So that also, I think that helped the whole experience is, like you were talking about, where it comes around and meets itself, as it were, things being told in rounds. I, I think that her performance worked particularly well for that. Mm-hmm. And actually, that structure, again, also, I'm reminded that several times during the course of this series, uh, a question is asked, and that, that question being, where do stories come from? And I was curious, where do you think stories come from? I am looking at my beer right now, <laughs> thinking that seems like a good answer. Is that where they come from? Yeah, <laughs> the bottom of a beer bottle. Um, I don't know where stories come from. Well, Actually, I'm just trying minute, to... I just checked mine. They are down there, I think, somewhere. I'm just stalling. It depends on the beer, I guess. Um, um, I'll take a pull and investigate. I'll see if I can get to the bottom of the bottom. Okay, okay. Um, I think stories come from all sorts of places, really. Um, because in Six Stories, Sam's best friend, Joelle, has this idea that they come from somewhere else, right? That you're channeling it. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's the thing. I know, for me, it's definitely it's a very internal thing. In some ways, I think it's almost like when you're striking a flint or something and making a spark, like you've got two things meeting. Like yeah. I think often you do have an external stimulus that hits something inside of you and sets off the spark. I think that too. I think that too. It's usually my best material that I'm able to come up with usually is 
after I've bounced it off of someone else or they've bounced something off of me. Someone will say something or do something, and I'll think about it and I'll be like, well, what if I rotate this just like 17 degrees to the left? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's a, a great quotation that I heard actually at Stone Coast as well. That was, you know, it's not that we write what we know, it's we write what we don't understand. And I think looking at my fiction, that's certainly true. It's almost in some ways like you're telling yourself the same story over and over and over. Um, if you can just tilt it like 17 degrees to the right, maybe you'll actually yeah. get it. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, because looking at like six stories, yeah. it's loss, it's friendship, it's grief, it's folklore. It's like, these are all things that I find super interesting, but I don't necessarily understand in a funny way. Yeah. So I guess it's that questing aspect that readers and uh, just listeners in this case can identify with and try to sort of come along with you on the journey. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question of sort of getting them to buy into that, I suppose. I hope so. Well, thank God Blythe has a very pretty voice. <laughs> Don't follow that voice anywhere. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. No, she was really good. She was really good. I also kind of found the the character in a way, it was almost like, I don't want to say an interrogation of the role of the storyteller. You got to play with the archetype yeah. of uh, a storyteller with the, the with the Joel character. And where you talk about how just stories out of some people, they sort of just burst spontaneously. Mm-hmm. While um, it seemed more for the narrator, uh, for Sam, it's, it's she has to kind of draw them out and assemble them more carefully in order to get where she's going, I think. Yeah, and I think that's valid because there are so many different types of storytellers. Like, even if you think about writers you know, you probably know plotters and pantsers and people in between. Oh, yeah. um, I think Joelle is very much more of a pantser. <laughs> she just kind of go. <laughs> very true, very like, true. Bam, like, yeah, she she does need to parse it out a little bit more. Her her brain is just a little bit more chronological. She could probably write a chronological, straightforward narrative uh-huh. if she put her mind to it. You see, maybe you just need to get her help when you, uh, when you go for that. Maybe, and I think what's interesting is something I realized well after the fact. Um, there's actually a shift about halfway through. Because in their early childhood, Joelle's the one who's telling Sam all the stories. Mm. Um, and then towards the end, that's reversed. Sam is telling them to Joelle. Oh, yeah. They have that lovely... Well, it's actually not lovely. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> well, yes. heartbreaking scene. It is. Sam is telling her about Elfland and Storyland and, like, the fairy realm. And I realized... I don't know. Again, after it was out, I was like, oh, that's an interesting shift that I did. I totally meant to do that. Well, yeah, it's funny. Character because, arc. Yes. yes. Brilliant. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, uh, it works out, though completely with the way their relationship goes. Yeah, I'm sure Blythe picked up on it and was like, this is a thing that I should do. This is why you should collaborate with actors, because they're brilliant. (laughs) Precisely. Uh, As an actor, of course, I am compelled to agree with you. Yes, yes, 100%. Well, I don't know if I'm going to... I don't do so much acting these days. I still consider myself one of the theater folk, but that's a separate topic. Um, you and me both. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. We'll we'll cry over a saucer of milk about that. Well, no, I was never it. like an actor-actor. Ah. I could act-ish. Not as well. Um, it's interesting at our day job, actually, because inevitably when we finish like our pantomime that we do together, um, we get asked, did you go to acting school? Were you trained in this? And then I just point and I say, she did. She did. <laughs> I went and got my MFA in creative writing, which is actually a pretty good partnership, I think. Because we both can do both, but obviously we're, we're trained and comfortable in very different things. Uh-huh. I will say just briefly, my problem was that I got yanked in both directions simultaneously growing up. Uh, it's one of those things that's like, have I figured out who I am yet? It's very difficult. Do uh, we ever figure out who we are? That, that's a fair point. 
That is a fair point. I keep having this theory that when I when I return to the realm of the theater folk, then they will tell me, but we will see. Anyway, to the point more, as we were talking about the sole actress in this, it's not all we hear in this because we have a glorious soundtrack. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> and put together by Alex White. Tell us a bit about that, if you would. Sure. So when I was putting together the grant application, I should probably mention, if you haven't heard, although it's been all over the internet, this was funded by the Ontario Arts Council. Woo! Yes, and I'm going to ask you more about yes, that later. Yeah, gave me money to make a podcast. It was great. So I approached Alex to write the theme song because I knew I'd heard his stuff. I knew it was the right style. I knew I could trust him to deliver like a quality product on time. And yeah. I like Alex, and I wanted to work with him. Um, anyway, so I approached right. Alex during our Smoky Mountain Writers retreat out in Tennessee. I don't remember what I said. I was very <laughs> drunk. He said yes. Sure, I'll write you a thing. He agreed to do it. By the time... I wasn't even back home yet. And he was like, okay, these are the instruments. These are what I'm thinking. And I was super excited because that's how I work. It's just like, yes, the vocalist actually is another Toronto talent. Ellen McAteer is a classical soprano. And I knew her from my choir. She was the soprano lead. She did an excellent job. She had the perfect voice for it. I was very pleased when eventually, at some point in one of the episodes, you actually played what seems like the whole song. And that was great, because uh, I know up until then it had only been like snippets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a long song. I really love it, though. It was perfect. It was the story in a nutshell. What is the title of the song, can you say? Lovely, Dark, and Deep. Excellent. It's a great piece. Now, I said we'd get back to this topic. You funded this project through the Ontario Arts Council. How does that happen? This particularly, of course, mystifies me as an American. Um, yeah. <laughs> How does that happen? So the Ontario Arts Council is a government agency that provides funding for artists to make art and not starve. So they have a whole lot of different things that they fund. Actually, they do theater projects and visual arts and like arts education and media arts. So podcasting counts as a media art. There's an application process. It's relatively straightforward. You have kind of just the nitty gritty of what you're doing, how long it's going to be, how many people it will involve. You talk about there's a kind of an essay section where you discuss the rationale behind the piece. So what impact it will have on the arts in Ontario, why it's important, why you want to do it, how it furthers your growth as an artist. Um, You talk about how you plan to pull this off, Yeah, because it's all well and good to say, I'm going to do a super cool audio thing with folklore. And it's another thing to say, yep, this is my actress. Here's the letter that she gave me that says, yes, she signed on. She wants to do it. These are the people that I want to approach for the music and the cover art. This is my mic that I already own. You just tell them how you're going to pull it off. And then there's a budget. And you can also Um. submit supporting materials. So I submitted an episode from my other audio drama, Coxwood History Fun Park and gave them that so that they could see, oh, I've done a podcast before. This is what it sounds like. I realized after the fact that I gave them the episode wherein the ghost starts making out with the fruit bowl who has turned into a curator. (laughs) So they heard that and somehow still funded me. (laughs) So I don't know how the OAC really works. (laughs) It is a strange mystical thing then. (laughs) They like ghosts and fruit bowls, I guess. All right, note to anyone who wants to do try <laughs> so, yeah, to make I, such an application. Yeah, yeah. Ghosts and fruit bowls, that's the key. Yeah, so it's really, it's, it's the rationale and the budget that they really, really focus on. Uh, that is awesome. Yeah, so I was able to say Canadian folklore, giving it to a global art audience, celebrating, um, like, Canadian roots 
and also it's a relatively small budget, so it seemed to be right up their alley. Very cool. I, I'm very pleased that there are organizations like that out there who are actually willing to do that. For me, that's just mind-blowing. Me too. Uh, I, I was really, really happy, and it's also nice. It's very validating, I guess, to feel like, oh, my provinces, anyway, my provinces government thinks that what I'm doing is worthwhile. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah. Now, sadly, I did hear this is your last podcast project. For the foreseeable um, future. Slides very rightly pointed out that I will probably come back at some point, but for now, for now. <laughs> never say never, exactly. never say never. But what's next? What have you got coming up? Oh, God, I am still cranking out short fiction. I've been submitting to markets all year long, and that seems to be going quite well. I have a novel that I'm editing, and I'd like to start shopping that around by the new year. And I've been itching to write a stage play for a while. It's been like mm. over a year. Like I love writing audio dramas, but I would love to write something for the stage as well. Um, so I think awesome. a little bit later this fall, I'm going to get cracking into that. That is very cool. And also, I just saw that you've been accepted into SIFWA. Woohoo! As an active member! Hooray! <laughs> and I did promise you before we started a funny story about my SIFWA yes. entry. Hello. Okay, Hello. so I knew the thing with SIFWA is like, it's a novel-length sale to one of the approved publishers with an advance of $3,000 or more. Or it's three short stories sold to professional markets and they equal 10,000 words. So I've sold two short stories to professional markets. So in my head, it's been like, I need one more. I need one more at least 3,000 words long and I'm in. And then I went to CanCon, which is the Canadian Conference on Speculative Fiction in Literature up in Ottawa, Ontario. And while I was there, there was a CIFWA information meeting and they said, you know, go, go check the rules. Go check the rules again. I was like, all right. So I looked and a publisher that I'd written, it was Choice of Games. So I'd written a choose-your-own-adventure game slash story for them. They're on the approved list. And the novel-length sale is actually, when you look at the rules, a piece of fiction, at least 40,000 words, for which you've been paid in advance of at least $3,000, or $2,000 if you made the sale before December 31st, 2014. Oh. So I went back and found my old contract from Choice of Games, which again is on the list, and I actually wrote for them a 60,000 word piece for which I was paid more than $2,000, but less than three. And I signed the contract on August 20th, 2014. Ha ha! Ha ha! So actually, while I have been madly slaving away and writing and wanting and burning and itching to be in SIFWA so badly, I have been qualified for the last two years. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't know. I'm actually glad that I didn't know, though, in a way. I was thinking about it. And first of all, my head at Stone Coast did not need to be any bigger. <laughs> like, had I been an active SIFO member, we'll still get in my MFA. I would have just been insufferable. And also because I have been working so hard. Like, it, it has been a real motivator. Yeah. So I'm glad that I, I had something I was working towards. Even if I already had it, I think that's kind of a metaphor. Yes. <laughs> It's kind of Sam's uh, journey, actually. Yeah, if you think about it, it all comes back to the same thing, really. Actually. It's all connected. My God. After this interview, I'm going to go get some balls of yarn and start putting them up on the wall. Okay. Oh, um, anyway, but this has been delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you so uh, much is there anything having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, was there anything else that I neglected to ask you about or that you wanted to mention before we bring this one to a close? I think we're good. You can find six stories wherever fine podcasts are found. Just look for 
underscore six stories told at night in your favorite podcatcher or podcast directory. Or you can just find it at my site at ktbrisky.com. Excellent. And were there any other like Twitter contacts or anything else you wanted to throw out there? Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter as at ktbrisky. That's KT, like the letters, and then B-R-Y-S-K-I. And yeah, I'm on Facebook also as KT Brisky. I'm easy to find. Just get KT Brisky. I pop up everywhere. Awesome. Well, folks, I cannot encourage you enough to go and listen to these stories. They're not very long. You can probably knock about two or three of them out in a commute. What she does with these things, and I I am completely serious here, it's nothing short of phenomenal, the way that she manages to weave everything together. You have got to listen to this. It is is that good. Thank you. So please (laughs) download this thing, listen to it now. I shall provide a link in the show notes. Katie Brisky, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry that we were plagued by Skype demons. Me too. But we persevered. (laughs) We did indeed, and the pentagram was drawn, and they cannot get in. They, they shall not pass. But that's another franchise. Take care, folks, and I will see you all of a sudden.